0: Ooh, that looks like a big chunky I was right into the mic. Sound <laughs> thing.
1: That okay. I was-, was honestly faster than normal What do you mean,
2: the mic setup? <laughs> Just so you know, uh, every time we get on, we forget everything we've ever done on Audacity, but yeah. We're on our shit today. I mean, it's afternoon, you know, we're not too tired. We just had quesadillas, so I feel like our minds are sharp. Sharp. And don't forget the oatmeal cream pies. (sighs) Yeah, I can't, unfortunately. I don't think I ever will. Yeah, they're amazing. I mean,
0: I'm just saying, who's fans of Little Debbie's oatmeal cream pies? I hope everybody is. Anyways, (laughs) I'm Jackie. I'm Hope. And this is, you want to say it at the same time? Sure. Okay. This is Fascism Fascism Podcast. Yes, it turned red when we did that. And we talk about fashion. And all the stuff it intersects with. Yeah. Which is like everything. We also realized doing this podcast, I don't know anything about fashion.
2: Yeah, we're learning. Yeah, so this is a
0: podcast for those that don't know anything about fashion and want to learn
2: about fashion. We talk about art also and clearly don't have our branding down. Well, I think we're getting there. Yeah, I think if you listen to this podcast and you ever want to send us like a description of our podcast so that we know what our podcast (laughs) is about or like how to, I don't know, any marketing gals out there. I've gotten a lot of responses like chaos. Chaos has been a common word.
0: Whoa. I know. (laughs) Wow. Not sure that's what we're going for. I don't think it is either, but I think it's always like in a good way. I'm like, you're just trying not to hurt my feelings. I don't know.
2: But yeah, we welcome all feedback, but. It's nice when it's good feedback. Yeah. Tell your friends to listen. Like it on whatever pl- things. The what, places. what thing? Follow on Spotify. You follow us on Instagram. Follow us on TikTok. But we honestly don't know. We're
0: figuring it out. Linktree. We need a Linktree. I got told I needed a Linktree le- recently. Who would we link to? Our Instagram. Our TikTok. Our pot, like Spotify, iTunes. Buy our stickers. Yeah. Buy our stickers. Our merch that we don't have, but we'll eventually have, right?
2: I'll make the merch eventually. I would love to make merch. I would love to make merch too, but you know, I'm going to be very particular about it. It's going to have to yes. be thrifted. It's like we're not <laughs> going to print new fucking cotton t shirts, no fucking way. That's 100% fair. And I love that. Listen to us. Listen, we're sustainable here. Cause... We are eco warriors. <laughs> I made a, sh- I shopped at Earth Hero. It's what is like, that? It just is a website that has kitchen stuff and bathroom stuff, and it's all like eco friendly versions. We got, Brian and I got a gift card for Christmas from his godparents. And when you place an order, they send you an email that says, thanks for being an earth hero. And I'm like, okay. Oh my God. I literally just bought an indigo dyed <laughs> oven mitt. Like you don't need to congratulate me. <laughs> it's probably for the white male fragility.
0: Like men, white men that love sustainability don't know what the fuck the dirt one talking about, but they always need to be congratulated about it. You know yeah, what I mean? For sure. So I think they took that and ran with that. For mm-hmm. the- what else would you think our podcast is about though? We use fashion topics as a lens to dissect culture. Yeah, and we have a lot of opinions. We I would have say.
2: opinions. We go on tangents.
0: Yes, and we love each other. So sometimes, you know, when you love each other, we have like hot takes. We feel comfortable with saying. Sometimes things. we edit out the arguments. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we
2: don't. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll have a Patreon, and that's where you'll get the. The the fierce yelling. I mean, we've barely we barely yell. Yeah, it's just, yeah. We just get a little hot sometimes. <laughs> but um, anyhow, what's trending for you? Oh man. Um, Did you think about this ahead of time? I thought about it a couple times. Every time
0: I think about it, I'm always like, gotta write it down. And sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. You mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. But there's been a lot of things that have been going on. Um, I think I should talk about this on the podcast. Uh, next door, there's an overflow of bodies at my mm. work. Dead bodies. Dead bodies because I think COVID, but, like, our next-door neighbors are the overflow place for the whole state of Washington. So that means everything is jam-packed to the point where they're having bodies out in the open, stacked, like, trying to keep it, you got to keep it below 40 degrees. That's, like, the requirement. So they're doing that with, like, fans and air conditionings, and, like, it's crazy. Are you going to say what you do and, like, why you're around dead bodies? I don't want to do that yet. I'm not comfortable yet. I'm, like, scared. I'm, like, one day get sued for something. Fair enough. Defamation. I don't know what they do. But anyways, I do work with dead bodies, so that's why I know about them. Um, And they are crematory. They're, like, the largest one. And I couldn't even walk into my bathroom because there was bodies in the way of the bathroom. In bags or what? They were stacked up on basically storage shelves. They're on wheels, so I had to, like, move some shit. When I first saw the body, I yelled, What the actual fuck? Because what the actual fuck, right? Like, when you're trying to go pee and there's a dead body in your way, like, what are you going to... How are you going to respond? Yeah. Truly frightening. Yeah. And so I yelled it and the owner looked at me like he was annoyed with my comment because it was like an outburst and, you know, we should get used to the bodies that are around. But I was just like... Well, I looked at him and I was just like, uh, sorry, that was loud. But like, there's a body here. (laughs) There's an actual body here. And he moved it. But then... Didn't continue to move it because so there's still bodies in the way. So, so you just like, like
2: moved it just enough that you could go and like get into the bathroom. Yeah,
0: it's just so annoying. I'm just so mad. So I guess what's trending is death. Okay, trending in, uh, in my life is
2: death. Like, mm-hmm. To get to that point,
0: I should I should have like a phrase before I start talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. And death to old me, because 2022 is the year I get hot, so... woo
2: Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) I don't know what sound you're supposed (laughs) to make. (laughs) You're just encouraging me. You really believe in me. I I mean, I believe you're already hot, but I also i am here for the goals, you know? Thank you. All right. What about you? What's trending for you? Um removal or like purging not like bulimia but just like so for one i got really hooked on earwax removal tiktok like Mm. i've been watching those videos like the other night i couldn't sleep and i was watching videos of people just like pulling out like huge globs of earwax which has been nice. And then my friend got me a Bissell. I don't know if that's how you say it, but like um, a carpet cleaner, which I thought was pretty funny because it's like she came to visit and like saw my dog pee on the rug and I don't know. I feel like there are people in this world who might take that the wrong way when they're fine visits and then buys them a carpet cleaner. But it was honestly just so thoughtful and sweet because like... Because there's pee on the rug. <laughs> and we really need that. So I've just been like cleaning my rugs and really enjoying... Seeing all the dirty water come out of yeah. them. It's almost like cleaning your ear. Would you say almost. so? Like I don't have earwax is a thing. Like, I've been cleaning out my ears and I'm like, nothing, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Not one little glob.
0: Dude, my ex, sorry to interrupt, but my ex had earwax spewing out of his ear. Ew. But I know, dude. I loved it, though, because mm-hmm. I got to clean that shit. Mm-hmm. That's, like, literally why we stayed together for so long, because I was like, but the earwax. Yeah, that's sick. It, <laughs> it I, is.
2: Yeah, I get that. I totally get it. Um Yeah, dude, our docket, speaking of nothing, that was sort of a abrupt segue, but our docket is robust today.
0: Yes, we have a lot of things that have happened slash we just like, I don't know,
2: got energized about researching things. So we've just been very online, I think, and catching wind of a lot of things. People have been sending us things and we are on it. Yeah, most somewhat. I, I could have been a little bit prepared for the what's trending. Yeah, I mean, at least we have the hard-hitting stuff ready to go.
0: Okay, for our media haul. So I want to say that two people recently died that were like our big fashion icons, I would say. Um, both gay men, um, both celebrated in, in the gay world. Andre Leon Talley, who was a co-editor of yeah. Vogue. And... There's been a lot of info about him and how he couldn't afford rent at the end of his life Mm. and that he was being kicked out while he was on his deathbed, basically, essentially. Kicked out of what? His house. Oh. Like, he couldn't afford rent. Yeah, so... I thought you meant maybe he was, like, kicked out of his work position or something. Once he left Vogue, essentially, like, the fashion, white fashion world, because he is a black gay man from the South, just... he didn't have a support system. He loved something that didn't love him back, you know? And I feel like I want to go deeper into this and I feel like it deserves a lot more understanding and research about it because his life, it's sad because it's just like he's a martyr for a representation of like black, gay, black, like marginalized groups of people in in the fashion world. Mm. And what it looks like to put all of yourself into something and towards your end of your life. The community that isn't there because you put all of something into something. Yeah. Just don't work that much. Anyways, like, what? (laughs) Anyways, I do really want to read his memoir and go deeper into it. So this is just me noting that I. I, Does that happen? That it happens. We see it. And I think it deserves more Mm -hmm. than what we're going to give it today. So I think there will probably be a meaty podcast episode about it um, in the near future. So check that out. He talks some shit apparently about Anna Wintour, and I really can't wait to read that. Mm -hmm. Okay, but the next person, Manfred Theory Mugler, he also passed away recently, and I'm obsessed with him. I didn't know I was obsessed with him until he died. You know, here we are again, I'm doing research and I just like don't know anything what I think I know. Mm. So one thing that cued me into how little I know, but how I know things, it was like Kim Kardashian rain dress. The the Met Gala dress from a year, a couple years ago. 2018. Yeah. She looked dripping wet and it was so beautiful. It was so, it was camp. It was this, like she was one of the few people that I think got it. Mm -hmm. And that's because he is the king of camp. So he's a designer. He is a designer. And he was just crazy. Anyways, this is the first time a Mr. Mugler has designed for the House of Mugler when he did the iconic rain dress for Kim. Um, so he came back 20, like, from not doing anything from the House of Mugler and then, like, doing something for Kim. For, mm. And so he
2: started the house, stepped away for a long
0: time. Yeah, he got bored with fashion. Oh, uh-huh. He was like, I'm into film now. Like, uh-huh. He also had some things happen. But um, he's just truly an entertainer and jack-of-all-trades, I would say. And he just came back, and I think, what a... I'm kind of confused, because I'm like, Kim Kardashian, to me, isn't a gay icon. It's not. Mm -hmm. I want to be very clear. This is not a gay icon. Maybe she is, though. I just feels like this is such a good pool for her, for the gays, because, like, people love him. Like, there's quite a few drag groups that, you know... He's just... He's an old-school, celebratory, LGBTQ, like, fashion icon. To get him... Is such a good catch. Mm-hmm. Like it's such a good thing for the theme of camp mm-hmm. for the Met Gala. It's such a win for her. I'm kind of confused of why the gays aren't more obsessed with her. Hmm. Or like, how did she even pull that? Like, I'm confused on a lot of levels. Like, well, she is a really wealthy lady, yeah, right. But like to and famous, but to get him to, to do like, the, emerge out of his. Yeah, yeah. It's a big. It's a kind of a big deal. Anyways. He was once a ballet. Um, oh, by the way, that dress took eight months to make, and he envisioned this California girl stepping out of the ocean, wet, tripping. That was kind of his like, mm-hmm. which nailed. Yeah, nailed it. Nailed. Uh, do you like that dress? Yeah, I yeah right. I love it. I love her hair. It's so good. It's so good. It's so mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Anyways, he was originally a, a ballet dancer. Which oh my god. Got it all.
2: Like how I'm so jealous. Anyways. <laughs> Ballet dancer, clothing designer. These film. are literally all the things I wish I was. It's like the most artsy triple threat. I know, dude. And he was kind of a loner,
0: but he talked to people all the time. So I don't know. What's a loner? Mugler was a key player in the high octane fashion scene of the eighties and nineties. There's a lot of things going on in the nineties. So it's like, you know, the alt mm-hmm. scene and, and then there was like the not alt scene. <laughs> I don't know. California girl style. Pamela Anderson okay anyways watch that Tommy and Pammy you did Pam. watch it it's so good
2: oh really I highly
0: suggest it oh okay I can talk to you off the pod about it so um, later in life Mugler suffered a series of accidents that permanently changed the look of his face and I looked this up because I was like why does he look so different from this scene to this scene I'm gonna oh, show interesting. you look that's him that's no! him
2: Oh dang
0: so his face drastically changed and I was like oof yeah So he suffered, permanently changed the look of, like, he suffered from these accidents, and it basically changed the look of his face. He destroyed his nose in a Jeep crash, which I'm like, that's, Jeeps are so scary Mm. for that reason. They crash all the time. Mm. He recalled to interview that um, he had one of his bones from his hip put into his chin after a motorcycle accident. I'm like, stop getting on vehicles. One one accident's enough. Yeah, dude, don't ride a motorcycle. You're going to get an accident. Anyway, so could you imagine a fucking bone from his hip put into his chin? Like, you could
2: just get filler in there.
0: I mean, I don't
2: know back then. Was
0: filler a thing? It sure was. Filler had to be. I mean, I guess maybe you do need a bone at the base. Well, you you could get silicone at least. Why does it have to be a bone? Then you just have, like, a floppy chin. You just, you know, drill it into the jaw. I think that's how it works. I don't know. You should be a plastic surgeon. You've got (laughs) real potential. I just know there's, like, with my job, I see a lot of, like, bones and stuff. I've seen skull implants and stuff, and there's just, like, a little drill bit.
2: Wow. You can do it, you know? Just like any DIY home project.
0: (laughs) It really is. It's just a tiny enough bolt. Anyways, he worked with Beyonce during her Sasha Fierce period, which, LOL, kind of, like, that's her worst period, but whatever. But – Still amazing. Mr. Mugler was a principal architect of a style that washed away the minimalism of the late 1970s and replaced it with an aesthetic of power dressing that was both bombastic and camp and a comic book fusion of s and high and fashion in which a drag queen, a prostitute, and a Reaganite social x-ray of bonfire of the vanities became almost the same person as of standing before the three-way mirror. A little hard for me to picture what
2: that looks like. Well, they're just saying that he had a big aesthetic.
0: Yeah, and it was just, like, a lot of people that wouldn't come together were coming together uh, mm-hmm. for this. And then, like, drag wasn't really like it is now. Like, there wasn't RuPaul. It was still very much of an underground scene. And still, like, being gay was still wasn't, like, cool. <laughs> it wasn't mm-hmm. cool like it is now. You know, still, like, an 80s, AIDS epidemic was happening. So, like, even to be a drag queen, you're, like, kind of risking your life in that sense. So... I don't know, I think he put a lot of people forth and kind of like, I wouldn't say normalized it, but definitely was like, I'm going to have drag queens in my show, I'm going to have sex workers on my show and celebrate it, you know, like, no big deal. It was like bringing, what are those called? Um, Oh my god, everybody's going to hate me. It's like bringing the kiki and... And ballrooms um, kind of, like, into the fashion world, which they always were, but, like, they were t- being taken and ripped off. But he was like, no, that I'm, I'm coming from this culture of, mm. like, dancing all night. Um, anyways, mm-hmm. in 1984, he took over the Zenith, a sports arena in Paris, to stage what was called one of the most theatrical, ambitious fashion shows since... The so-called Battle of Versailles in 1973, which I looked up what the Battle of Versailles is. We'll talk about that later. But it is a thing that happens mm. in the fashion world that, mm. like, Americans got an opportunity to kind of take part in and mm. had black models for the first time. Mm. Anyways, the outwardness of designers embracing being gay wasn't a thing back then. And he really did it. Um, people knew you were gay, but didn't really talk about it. It was considered not chic. which Whoa. Yeah. No, and, it's very chic. And now, <laughs> honestly, it's the chicest to be gay. Mm-hmm. If you're not gay, if you're a little bi, are you even, like, are you okay? what? Are you okay?
2: Like, <laughs> I mean, I assume everyone's You're bi. Republican. Right? Is what I would
0: assume. Mm-hmm. And he was sending drag queens like Lipsinka down the runway. I want to show you this, but I won't show you right now. In other questions, Mugler presented women as robots, motorcycles, and even clams. But he could also see them as goddesses and angels. In one instance, a pregnant Pat Cleveland as the Madonna was famously lowered down onto the runway. Wow. So he just, like, puts on the best shows. Mm-hmm. Really what I wanted to get across is, like, he's very gay and flamboyant and also, like, putting on a fun show. Cardi B, this is her wearing one of his, like, clam dresses that he actually had wow. at the runway. Yeah. You see how, like, this is a scene that from... Looks like, like, Disney on ice or something. Yeah, he's just... It's just extra, you know? Um, that was fine with me too. Who once summed up his philosophy as follows. Okay, so Mr. Mugler, his philosophy was
2: the opposite of good taste is safe. What do you think about that? What is the opposite of good taste? I would just say the opposite of having taste is being safe. Because if you're being safe, you're not even expressing your taste, unless your taste is just bland, I guess. Totally. Yeah, I would say overall, I, I, I'm here for that take.
0: <laughs> I, I liked it too. Okay, I don't know if you guys know, but Lizzo recently on TikTok showed some butt cleave. It's like the new. Some people are like,
2: yeah, d- make it trending. Well, in. Kanye's girlfriend wore a really low. Have you been seeing how he's been dressing her? Yeah. Yeah, she wore pants that basically, yeah, that, like, went down. Yeah, basically butt cleavage. Butt cleavage, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then someone said Lizzo did it first.
0: I saw that, actually. Oh. But, look, he actually did it first. Wow. Do you see look this? Look at
2: that booty. That's so, cute. Uh, what a nice butt. I
0: mean, I just love that this idea. Like, okay, so this woman's going down with, a, like, a little black dress with a, what would you call that? A uh, shawl. A shawl over her arms. And then she takes, when she turns around, she takes the shawl off, and it showcases
2: her, like, entire ass. There's just, like, a cutout. In the back, and it's, it shows, like, I would say the top half of her butt. Yeah, it's a butt cleave for sure. And it's, like, really, I don't know if, if it's, like, pulling everything in, but she, her butt looks really, really good. I think
0: that's a drag queen, too. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's ending that. Like, House of Mugler, I do, can I show you, just for fun, we can mm-hmm. pause the podcast, but I do want to show you, like, hit, like, lip syncs. Jackie just showed me a clip of one of the shows, and it's, like, they're having fun. I, yeah, I would say a lot of it's, like, not taking itself too seriously. That's what I like about him. House of Mugler is, like, I'm taking advantage of the fact that a lot of fashion is just so bougie. Mm-hmm. And he's just, like, I'm going to make it interesting and and fun. You can be, like,
2: smiling and dancing. And- uh-huh. Yeah. I want to show you. I really am going to send a
0: link to you. It's a 48-minute 40, song. But it is about, like, the insect runway. And it's...
2: That's Mugler? It's Mugler- uh, so Mugler- good. Yeah, we should all we should link it all in the show notes. Okay, well I'm re-saying this because Jackie burped. <laughs> um, next up on our media hall is Quilt Gate. So I do want to show you a few seconds of this. Okay, okay, yeah. So we just watched a little bit of Quilt Clothes Must Die. I feel like every dramatic thing now gets called something Gate.
0: Uh-huh. I don't know if
2: anyone's actually called it Quilt Gate, but that's what I'm calling it.
0: I'm confused though because I feel like she's assuming that people don't know that quilts were made by people like. I also feel like there's an assumption that they're all old quilt quilts. Right. I feel like there's also an assumption that these quilts aren't coming from thrift stores. So that would have probably ended up in the trash. Right. I have my grandparent quilt. I would never use it, but I would get a quilt from the thrift store and use it.
2: Yeah. So just quickly, summarize. if you haven't seen the video, she starts off by saying she's just like really upset that people are cutting up quilts to make clothes. She kind of goes through some reasons not to do it, but it's pretty vague. Like, I would have been interested to hear more of the history. Like I also just didn't like her tone. Definitely. She's really rude. Yeah. She's super rude about it and just, like, sarcastic. And so first, she kind of gives a brief, brief explanation of why quilts are important. But honestly, given that she yeah. she writes for like, a quilt magazine, like I've looked through her YouTube, she talks a lot about the history of American quilts, and she really should have gone Deeper, deeper into, into it then she launches into an, um just showing the different quilt clothes you can buy and just talking shit on them like talking shit about the quilted collar talking shit about the quilted coat the shoes the pants she, i skipped through this part but she just labeled it dumb pants it's like <laughs> dude this is not a compelling argument and then she goes through and get like gives some alternatives of like
0: is she, well can i say at the beginning she said that she was gonna go through every like defense and she did it
2: She does, so she goes through later, she says the reasons that people say, they're like, um, well, it's gonna go into the landfill, Yeah. or, like, yeah, I don't remember what her response to that was. Should we watch that? Sure, yeah, let's do it. Um, okay, so then she, yeah, she goes through a couple arguments that people tend to make about why they make quilt clothes or why it's okay, and then in the end, she gives some alternatives, like, instead, you could make your own quilt out of fast fashion remnants, or you could repair the quilt, yada yada, so... I've seen already some people on Instagram responding to this. It seems like it circulated. How many views does it's it? It's 17, 17,000.
0: 17,496. So, me. first off, I don't like her face. I know that's stupid, but like her face is just like someone that would just be like in HR or she something. She reminds me of
2: the villain in Legally Blonde. That's fair. With uh, her like, black turtleneck. Yeah,
0: she's just got the black turtleneck, slick-backed hair,
2: her and eyes of her are all the videos intense. she's like wearing a black turtleneck, I looked.
0: And she's like I'm in trouble. And I don't like it. I don't like where she's coming from and how she's presenting it. And that's probably a bias. That's probably a thing. I don't think she's wrong in a lot of the things that she's saying. Like,
2: we could be using dead stock. Maybe they are. Like, dead stock is usually meant, and she gets, she talks about this. Dead stock is when a company can't sell some of its merchandise. Right. Quilts are usually made at home, they're
0: handmade. They're a folk art. Okay, I love quilts. I'm obsessed with quilts. I come from the South. Quilts are a part of our DNA. Like, they're our family hand down heirlooms. I do not think my grandma would give a shit if I made it into a, a, like, with her obsession with, like, being like, they're pieces of history. I'm like, I honestly do not think it's that big of a deal.
2: Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of them. It kind of seems like, well, when she was saying, like, oh, a quilt could be of use to a ton of people. But then you make it to a coat and it's like, well, that coat could be of use to a lot of people. I will say like the collar thing, like making it into something so trendy that it's like,
0: yeah, that is. I get that, too. But I'm also like, what if they're just using the scraps of the full quilt? Mm -hmm, Like, mm
2: -hmm, I just feel
0: like the corsets are left over also like remnants of the whole entire thing. Mm -hmm. I do see like maybe we shouldn't be doing quilts. But I'm like,
2: why don't we just make quilts and then make coats out of the quilts? I mean, is that too much labor? Because people don't know how to make quilts. That's fair. Like, a lot of these designers who are making them probably don't know. I mean, and I agree. Like, it would be cool if more people actually were inspired by this trend and started doing patchwork. Because it's a really cool practice. Yeah. And quilting, like, there is. I mean, we should do a whole episode on quilting. Oh, uh, We
0: should absolutely do one. Because I'm going to get into quilting next year. You
2: it, got it marked off on your calendar? Yep.
0: As my 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 little
2: Capricorn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's something I've always been interested in. I love modern quilts. I follow on Patreon quilters, even though I do not know how to quilt. But Mm. I follow them on Patreon anyway, just to support quilters. And I especially love modern style quilting. I think there is a beautiful art form to it. And I'm very into it. And I've also wanted to buy quilts. And they're costly Mm -hmm. because it is a labor. I think there also is a beauty. Like, I remember in social work class. Well, we had to come up with like a group therapy th- thing for a project, and one group, their project was on grief. I think they um, had to think of a grief group therapy session, and they did quilting circles because they're a really great form. And I think that's why a lot of the a lot of people do this with quilts is use their loved ones' clothes, and that's mm. what you did in the south. That's why yeah. it's quote unquote history. It's because you're reusing all those clothes that you can't wear anymore as a
2: new living object which like someone could also argue that you're taking those clothes that could have been worn and making it into a quilt and then it goes back into a coat yeah yeah. kind of like and like that's another thing like quilt coats have also been a thing too if you
0: listen to dolly parton's song about her rainbow coat it is a quilted coat like Mm -hmm. i get the fear of destroying beautiful because those some of yeah i have a quilted jacket that i i love uh was 350 dollars And I was like, well, this is just a piece of art. You Mm -hmm. know, I barely wear it. But I just do question if it's actually a real problem. Like, she was also saying we have a finite thing of of quilts. Okay, there is a big trend with quilt stuff. And Psychic Outlaw is one of them, a big brand that I like. But I'm also just like, there's a lot of DIY things that are happening anyways. And this Mm -hmm. is just kind of part of that DIY Mm -hmm. like people are taking note i do want people to like understand the history
2: of quilts but i don't know Mm -hmm. what do you think i see what she's saying i mean yeah i think she's being a pretty big a-hole about it yeah i kind of feel both ways where i'm like like i would not be her friend definitely not yeah like there's a lot of history to a lot of quilts and i do think that they have special qualities that other fabric or other like Things just don't because it's like you're taking a bunch of scraps where it's like each scrap is like a piece of history where it's like, oh, that print was popular in, in the 60s or like, oh, that fabric must have come from. You could learn so much studying quilts, but also the reality is that, like you said, once they end up at Goodwill, what does she want people to do? Like, does she want people to study them or like hang them yeah. up? Or like, it's kind of like if the way that most people are going to interact with the quilt is as a coat, like. Isn't it like bringing it more to the forefront? Yeah. It kind of makes me think of like people talk about the gentrification of thrift stores and it is an important issue to to think about. But I also think that sometimes when we talk about thrifting as, like, oh, all these rich people are going to thrift stores and there's like not enough for the people who actually need it. It's like people underestimate the sheer volume of material, clothes, yeah. blankets. Like there's just so much
0: she was also saying there's there's not an infinite amount of quilts and I was just like you're probably right about that but like like you said if they're at their surf store and she made this thing about like how coats are used for one person versus Mm -hmm. like quilts can be used for multiple and I was like what like what what do you mean like two people can get underneath a quilt like what are you saying yeah exactly
2: or like blankets (laughs) are things that you share or something yeah it's like a whole family can use a blanket she, just, does she want like
0: everybody to hang up their quilt and their fucking little to do like n- no one can afford a house these days so the space is very limited so just to, uh yeah it's co- it's more complicated than she's giving she feels familiar like she's the type of person that i just would never like be she's down really with. anti-bimbo yes she doesn't seem fun. No. I think that's what really bugged me. I was like, you don't got one, a sense of humor about any of
2: this? And her arguments just weren't good. Just being like, dumb pants. They make these dumb pants. It's like, I mean, either be fun and sassy or be smart. Yeah, she made a point about like saying,
0: do you think your grandma who hand-sewed their, their name into this would be okay with a fanny pack? And I was like, that maybe. Right. Who are you to you assume that they wouldn't be? Mm-hmm. Also... My grandma never sewed her fucking name into the, so this is like, I know some people that are like quilt artists that Mm -hmm, do that, mm -hmm. and back in the day, like, I did go see a quilt recently in a museum where they shot, oh, that witch show with Sandra Bullock. Practical Magic. I went to a place, I forgot the name of it, terrible of me, whatever, it's on Whidbey Island. They have a quilt, like, weekend, they have, it's a quilt thing there. Okay. But they had one quilt. That, like, everybody in, it's a small fucking town, but this is, like, in the 1800s, 1850s. Everybody in the the neighborhood signed their signature with. You wouldn't want to get rid of that. Mm -mm. That Like, things like that make sense to me. I mean, like, everybody's name was on that. Like, everybody's signature. It's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. But, like, I don't think every single person that made a quilt, like, signed their name on it. And, or, like, thought that this was, like, they didn't think about the life of the
2: quilt, right like it could have been a practice quilt it could have been like they were just starting going I mean I have an ex whose mom makes quilts so she's probably cranking out like at least one or two a year my mom makes quilts out of old t-shirts exactly that's what you're supposed to do I get what she's saying about the history because there is deep meaning
0: in the clothes and fabrics that people wore back then
2: mm-hmm.
0: and how they represented them through the quilt but I'm also like people were like oh I'm cold I need to reuse these rags like it's deep and it's not all mm-hmm. at the same time
2: anyways yeah, that's all we want We, can went do a lo- we talked a lot topic. about that Okay, next up, we're talking about the Vice article about bimbofication. So, do you know anything about this? Yeah, I know a lot of things about it only because of TikTok. TikTok knew about bimbofication. I mean, that's where it started. It started. And so... I just remember some
0: TikTokers being like, be a bimbo. mm -hmm.
2: Because
0: they won't take you seriously and you can do whatever the fuck you want.
2: Yeah, so a Vice article just came out. It's called, Bimbofication is Taking Over. What does that mean for you? And they talk about what this term means. One way they describe it is kind of like a reaction to girl boss feminism. Instead of leaning in and trying to be one of the boys, you're like leaning away and and being like, I'm just going to be super feminine. They call it a fresh approach (sighs) to intersectional feminism. They trace it back to Chrissy Klopeka, who was one of the quote unquote earliest pioneers. Can you show me a picture of her? Because I might know her because I don't remember anybody's names. Yeah, I might even um, I was thinking about putting a soundbite from her. Yeah, please do. Enter a soundbite
1: here. Who is a bimbo? What is a bimbo? These are multiple questions that I've been getting from millennials. Who is the Gen Z bimbo? A bimbo isn't dumb. I mean, she kind of is, but she isn't that dumb. She's actually a radical leftist who's pro-sex work, pro-Black Lives Matter, pro-LGBTQ, pro-choice, and will always be there for her girl's gaze and lace. If you're homophobic, I'll castrate you. Listen, this is an inclusive organization. There's bimbos, dembos, himbos. I don't do this for the misogynistic male gaze. I do it for my gaze. And damn, my tits look good. It's about emotional intelligence at the end of the day. And remember, we always step on Trump supporters. Hey, is that a Trump supporter? Ew! Uh,
0: Yeah, I know her, love her, follow her. I just needed a reminder because I don't memorize anybody's fucking name. Yeah, and
2: so there's like a definite breathy, super feminine boy. And I guess people in she identifies as she, they. They were being called a bimbo, so then they just went with it. And it really resonated with people. With its bubblegum pink optics grounded in inclusive, anti-capitalist, jubilantly queer and aggressively kind ideology, her aesthetics did fit neatly into the recognizable stereotype of bimbos over the years. So think mean girls, think Elle Woods in Legally Blonde, think... Cher Horowitz of Clueless, or even Dolly Parton, maybe maybe Marilyn Monroe. The old original trope of the bimbo was an ultra-feminine, super-hot, buxom, skinny, girly girl, and almost always white. And so, she really fits into that aesthetic.
0: Yeah, there was a critique, because there was one black woman on TikTok that was falling into this bimbification, but was like, I would like it not to be so white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically critiquing the fact that this was very white- and she did a lot of comedy bits about being a bimbo. It was great. She was hmm. hilarious. I wish I remembered her name. God. We'll link okay. it. Yeah. So, yeah, i was have to say it is very, still very white.
2: There's a creator named Alondra Ortiz who was inspired to get into bimbofication. Her goals were to look and feel more confident, to take care of themselves, to embrace their natural hair texture, and to start introducing themselves in English-speaking environments by their true Latinx pronunciation of their name. And so really, it's like for Ortiz, bimbification was about not minimizing themselves for the sake of other people, reclaiming their identity. And so there's a real like just confidence of bimbification where you're the way I think of it is like instead of trying to succeed at the game of being in capitalist society that's dominated by white cis mm-hmm. hetero men instead of trying to win at that game you just don't play the game yeah you're like i'm not going to try to seem smart to you i'm not going to try to impress you yeah. i don't give a shit
0: yeah no i love that it's also g- this goes hand in hand with the culture of fashion that is happening which is wear whatever you fucking want to wear mm-hmm. um one of the guys that i would call like a thimbo, uh they talk about how there's not ugly there's only camp mm-hmm. or hot which I think is really fun. So, Mm -hmm. like, in this world of bimbification, you're literally wearing whatever you want and not giving a fuck about it. And that is a trend that is happening on TikTok that's wider than bimbification, but bimbification really, like, I think was the point entrance to being like, I do not give a fuck. It's all coming from the same place of being like, capitalism really has made sure that we have an aesthetic that fits into this idea of binary, that fits into this idea of like going to work, like mm-hmm. going to day to night was a whole thing and thing that we thought was going to
2: happen, you know? Mm. Anyways. Like as in you wear an outfit to the office and then change <laughs> yeah. it up for the yeah. night time? Yeah. Oh my God. Day to night looks. <laughs> Never happened. Such a thing of Cosmo magazine. <laughs> exactly.
0: But like realizing, oh, I'm not even going to participate in this at all. I don't know if it's just happening on TikTok, but I do feel like the conversation is shifting at least into this world of being like, I should actually wear what I want to wear, not just wear what I think I
2: should wear. It makes me think of also, like I mentioned on the podcast a while ago, just that I was noticing a lot of female podcasters who would sort of refer to themselves as stupid a lot. Yeah. And I think that that's like part of bimbofication where you're just like, I don't have to pretend to be smart. Listen to what I'm saying. Like, I don't have to deliver it in a certain tone or without saying like, I can just be myself. And not worry about it Mm -hmm. we say like all the time and uh and i do we take them out because it is
0: sometimes a little much but it's like yeah it doesn't make me less smart Mm -hmm. i think that's also something that i've been dealing with because i mean like not even dealing with it i've gotten over it Uh, for a long time i worried about my iq level or like how i presented myself in conversations with people that i perceived as smart but now i'm like no, I actually know
2: shit no matter what. Yeah, and I mean, one person's video was talking about you don't have to fact check anything. If you want to believe something, you can just believe it. Like, I can't, I think they said that they believe that, um, I can't remember, it was something outlandish. Which, I mean... I don't, yeah. I'm not super into that. That's just one person. Yeah. Are you Joe Rogan? Is this Joe Rogan? <laughs> like, misinformation it, is is not good. I think something nice in the middle is... You don't have to always be proving yourself with scientific studies. Right. But like, yeah, with COVID and stuff like that, science is super helpful. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I feel like I have to always say that now. Well, if
0: you're going to be a public figure, you can say things that you that are your opinion. But don't say things like they're factual without disclaiming you don't know anything. Mm-hmm. I, I just think if you're a public figure, if you're a one-on-one, say whatever the fuck you want. Mm-hmm. If you're with your, your friends and you're lying about things, straight up, yeah, have fun with that. Mm-hmm. But I think there is a real fine line with that, but I get what they're saying. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I think
0: that's enough on that. It's kind of like, that's what it is. I'm sort of here for it. I'm 100% here for it, except for the say whatever you want all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's also a celebration
2: of having girls having fun. Totally. It's like, the thing is, we have gotten so accepting of the fact that society hates women. It hates how we talk. It hates when we are beautiful. It hates when we're ugly. It's so normal. Like when you see those Christmas cards that they were posting on Twitter where it's like the women were gagged and then the men, the like dad and the little boy were holding signs that said peace on earth. And and of course, like the women are in on it because, you know, they have internalized misogyny. But it's like we just, it's so accepted that people hate women. Yeah. And I feel like this is a reaction to that of being like, I'm not going to try to not be... And it's not just women, right? It's 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 like marginalized people, non-binary, like people who aren't rewarded for being themselves in society. And then just deciding like, no, I am just going to be myself and love myself and not feel bad about it. Yeah,
0: no, exactly. I think that sums it up because it's so true. Like, I like gossip.
2: I like celebrity stuff.
0: and. And
2: I've, we like fashion. And it's like, we're allowed to have this podcast. Sorry, I cut you off. No, go on. What are you going to say? But it's like, yeah, like kind of what we've talked about from the beginning of this podcast. It's hard to convince people to listen to a podcast on fashion because people think it's something that they shouldn't care about. They've never wanted to care about it. And it's weirdly hard to convince people that these are topics that are meaningful. Yeah,
0: exactly. I've always kind of gotten a reaction when I know things. People are like, Ugh, whatever. It's because it's been feminized. That's the only reason you're acting like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And th- we all have this internal misogyny that we can't like things that are feminine. Like, we Mm -hmm. have to downplay it. But, like, like we were saying, anything that's actually liked by men and men exclusively, there was a a Twitter that said this, it's actually very uncool. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say right now, like, most things that women or non-binary gays actually like are very
2: cool. Yeah, rosé tastes good, people. <laughs> it just <laughs> tastes good.
0: Rosé is good. Also, glitter is fun. Mm-hmm. You know what I
2: mean? Like, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, bad for the environment, Jackie. No, like, we can, I think there's biodegradable glitter now. I'm sure. Anyways. Maybe I can find it on Earth Hero. you certainly could. good. Oh man, what a juicy, juicy episode. <laughs> Just carrying on. Just, I think it's been an hour in. So we're at like 50 minutes. We can go to like an hour and a half. Okay, oh, we're moving on to the meat of the... This is our meaty, meaty topic, guys. Meat. I know the other ones did seem pretty meaty, but this is the meatiest of all.
0: Yeah, this is the this is the thing that I did uh, like a day's worth of research on.
2: It's <laughs> like basically if this was a meal, it's like we had two really hefty appetizers. <laughs> like they had cheese. And
0: you're like, oh, I don't know if I can eat it. Yeah, I don't the- know.
2: Should I stop? Don't stop. <laughs> just keep eating
0: yeah finish your plate okay you don't waste a damn thing i
2: really am being my new alter ego (laughs) mean mommy i'm like finish your damn food honey
0: yeah hope and i were talking about uh, like she had to go pick up my check which i think is illegal by the way but i was like whatever um and she was like the eagle has landed and i was like didn't respond for like 30 minutes or something then she was like did you get my
2: check i'm like what do you think that I meant when I said the eagle has landed?
0: <laughs> and then we were, like, talking about code names, and she said she wanted a mean mommy. I had thought about that, like, a couple days before, actually. Really? I
2: was, I was really stoned, and I came up with that for my DJ name, and then it, it just ended up working for that. Were too. you just by yourself thinking about names? I was with Brian, yeah. Popped there was, like, right a out. whole backstory that I'm not going to go okay, into. Okay, but, okay, okay. Uh, yeah.
0: uh, I thought that was fun. I was looking at to go the badger, which I think now is too traditional. The badger and the mean mommy. It's a fun combo. Yeah, it is a fun combo. We had a girl's... Weekend that I didn't end up going to because my grandpa died uh, in New Orleans, and we were supposed to wear—we all had like Mm. grandma-themed attire—and I I was Money Mimi. Money Mimi. Yeah, me, mommy, and Money Mimi. Cute. Anyways today we're talking about tabby so i had this thing where i was like i want tabby boots and for those that are like what the fuck are tabby boots they're the hoof looking shoes that you're like what's this thing yeah they're the ones that have like the toe big toe and the second toe there's like a slit between them too like you could put on a flip-flop if you wanted to mm-hmm. on top of the boot mm-hmm. you know you and could hold something in between. Exactly. You could hold something with your toes while wearing them. And people are like, they're hideous. And I'm like, they're fashion. So that's why you think that. Um, uh, one of my coworkers said that they were hideous. And I was just like, that I, I don't know they're not. But they're fashion. And then they were like, well, I do call my feet hooves. Maybe I should get some. I was like, y- you don't have to just suddenly buy them now. Like,
2: You're too convincing. Don't you? I
0: don't know. <laughs> I think they felt bad that they had talked shit on something. Yeah. Anyways. So I had an incident where I was like, I'm going to buy tabby boots. 2022, Jackie's into fashion. I mean, I've always been been in fashion, but, like, I know more. And now I'm like, I want tabby boots like everybody else. Mm -hmm. All the fashion icons have these tabby boots. Mm -hmm. I go on Etsy. Nothing's cheap. I was like, okay, how much am I willing to pay for tabby boots? And I'm, like, bargaining with myself 200 max, right? Tabby boots are not $200. They're about $600. And I'll tell you why later on. And I found what was a dupe. And I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing! It's only one hundred and sixty dollars." It was a complete scam. I should have known better.
2: Why they didn't? They weren't good. They didn't even
0: mail it to me. What? Yeah. They, like, acted like they were mailing it to me for, like, a month. And then, then it got sent to New Jersey, which is just, like, them conning me.
2: Whoa. So I had
0: to report them on Etsy and a lot of, like, the reviews. Because I was waiting for a while because it was a new shop. So they hadn't had any reviews. Oh. And then, then the first review came in because I was about to report them. And they said the same thing that Whoa. I did. They were like, the never shoes never came. <gasps> I mean, there's a Tabby boot scam going on. Like, you if you see a boot that's $150, it's Tabby. It's not real. Is Tabby
2: the brand or just the type of shoe? It's
0: type of shoe. I'm going to get into that because I, this is why I got interested into it because I was just like, okay, so this is, like, a thing that's happening. People mm-hmm. are being taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. So the Tabby is actually a Japanese worker shoe, and it began in Japan. Like, the first person – I want to give a shout-out to Bella from our grad school. They were the first person – That I ever met that wore them. Mm. And I was like, what are these? So they've been wearing them for a while. They've been on the fashion scene. They should be the host of this podcast. Honestly, they're so fashionable. Anyways, the tabby is a Japanese worker shoe. And tabby began as socks. Because that makes sense. And they actually found socks like tabbies in the Roman Empire area. Yeah. But this was in Japan. So the split toe design was thought to promote balance through the separation of the big toe, a holistic reflexology strategy that promotes a clear mind. Pretty cool, right? It is really cool. It was developed with divided toes to be worn with the country's traditional thong sandals and kimonos. As it flourished in the subsequent years, the colors of the tabby sock were soon uh, regulated to reflect Japan's hierarchical societal status. So they could only make the socks in certain colors? Yeah, well, they have, for certain society. Oh. Like certain colors were like designated for certain hierarchical structures. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me any more detail about that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> no more questions. <laughs> but when trading opens for China, they became more universally worn. And the colors were also limited by class initially. With the upper class wearing purple and gold, and samurai all of the colors, but purple and gold, and commoners exclusively had to wear blue.
2: That's weird because blue, it sometimes has been royal. I think it's always been purple. That's what I always. Well, deemed. but like blue was also a color that was hard to make, right? Like, like indigo. Indigo. I need. To, we need to do a whole thing on on indigo. Yeah, dude. This podcast, it's like we're adding more to do list.
0: Yeah. Every time we open our mouth, we're like,
2: damn it, another oh, thing.
0: To <laughs> <hear>. <laughs> we were like. Statement Don't know. But yeah, you might be right. Indigo is a, but it's like a commoner thing, right? Like, I don't know. It's a spiritual thing too. I don't know. Anyways, around the 1900s, uh, rubber soles were a- added for outdoor activities onto these socks, mm. you know, and these were called j- uh, Jica Tabby. Please hold your sigh for how I'm saying this. We did actually just have our first Japanese listener oh. recently. So don't, please don't hate me if you're re-listening to this are Jaica tabbies. And they're still in today, and I was almost about to buy some.
2: So it's like a sock with the split
0: toe and then a rubber sole. Yeah. It and pretty nice. I mean, yeah. So they're still happening in Japan. Like, a lot of workers still wear them to this day. Hmm. And they did face competition for the still-toe work boots, mm-hmm. uh, which is exclusively what we're required to wear in the U.S. But I'm like, fuck that. I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. Um are Jika- going have steel toed tabbies. Exact. They have them. Really? Yes, that's what I was getting to. Oh my god. I would, I googled it and I researched it and then they are, yeah, and they hold the ankle in. Okay, but the Jika, Jika tabbies are still preferred by some due to the flexibility of the soles, allowing the wearer a greater degree of grip than rigged soled shoes alone. I'm worried about the arch. Anyways, other varieties of Jika tabbies have developed for specific laboring purposes, such as knee-high. Jika tabbies made entirely of rubber, which, that's kind of sexy. But anyways. Huh. It's like a
2: rain boot.
0: Yeah, but with the... With the split toe. With the split toe for rice field workers. Mm. Let's move on from there. So this guy, Margiela, 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 thank you, has branded the tabby boot, the boot. So he just ripped off Japanese culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, as they do. I e-baited tabby boot and Margiela was the only one to come up. So like, that's what I was saying. Why they cost so much is because Margiela has a hold on the tabby boot. Wow.
2: You know, when you said you were going to look into these, I really didn't think you were going to come up with as much as you did. (laughs) I I mean, it's just a shoe, you know, but, like, so much more. (laughs) Yeah. There are some other modern fashion versions of the
0: Tabby in production right now. So, like, Susu Kayoto, a label founded in 2002, sells them an endless array of patterns and colors at a fraction of the price of Margulis, which means they're 300 Mm bucks. And they even have their own
2: sneaker. Wait,
0: Nike has
2: their own version?
0: Yeah, I didn't look too hard into the Nike, but yes, they have their own version, the Air Rift. It was all an employee of Margiela designed them, and they actually sent them down the runway last year, so that's...
2: At a a Margiela set? Yeah. Okay.
0: But none of those versions, nor any others, attract the attention of Margiela's, or Margiela's. How do you say it? Margiela? Margiela. Nor are really comparable to the extent that you could call them an affordable dupe. They're all expensive. I don't know why, but Yes. I mean, except for the pe- fact that every laborer should get paid what they should get paid. Right. But I think it's literally just because it's a fancy, smanshy fashion brand making these boots. So they're, like, going to yeah. keep that price up. Yeah. I guess Gap isn't going to come out with them. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Martin Marjilla, uh wanted a shoe that gave the illusion of a barefoot resting on a hill. On, a, like, a hill of a foot. Heel. Mm-hmm. The heel is chunky and high from the side, but narrow from the front, and the leather was a traditional masculine choice. So I was trying to mix that femme and mask together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The clasps that run up the inner part of the boot were references to the original design he pulled from. He had just come back from the trip from Japan. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that makes me mad. It just was like, everybody thinks he's an amazing artist, I'm like, he literally just saw something and copied and it. And copied it, yeah. Prior to finding his own label in 1988, Marjola had worked for Jean
2: Paul Gaultier. Jean Paul. Right, Jean-Paul Gaultier? You said it right.
0: See, I'm bad. I'm bad with names, and this is why Hope's here. <laughs> There's other reasons, but it's <laughs> the, one function one, one of many reasons. I read a bunch of stuff about their relationship,
2: and Jean-Paul says that he was, like, his best assistant. He was mm-hmm. an assistant. Okay, so he, Jean-Paul Gaultier said Martin Margiela was a really good assistant. <laughs> yeah. And when
0: it came for the production of the boot, so it was, like, 1988-ish. Um, he was about to open his first collection. Who? Margella. He went and tried to, like, find somebody to make the shoe, and everybody was like, this is insane. Like, a lot of the cobbler people were like, this is outside of my realm. Really? Is it that hard? I mean, he, he should have gone to Japan. Japanese people do it all the time. But, yeah, he obviously wasn't searching in Japan. He was, like, sh- searching in Europe. Anyways, he finally found this one guy, an Italian, and a craftsman named Mr. Zagato, which uh, sounds... Japanese, honestly, but... Sound, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but only from that that song. Dami Orgato. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so Mr. Zagato didn't have a real job anymore. He was only producing, like, small things here and there. And this Berlut guy, he was working with Mr. Marjula. hmm
2: Okay.
0: And he was trying to find the shoe, and Mr. Zagato and him went to
2: dinner, and uh, he was talking to about how Martin... He's like, I've got this friend Martin. He wants to make this shoe. Can you make this shoe for my friend Marty? I feel like you became a New Yorker. Yeah. I don't know why. (laughs) I don't know why, but for whatever reason, it felt like the right storytelling device.
0: You're like, hurry this up. (laughs) Okay. Anyways. And then he showed him what he wanted and he took a boot out of our bag and put it on the table and you could see Mr. Zagato's eyes like light (laughs) up. He was like so excited to do it. He said, yes, this is what I want to do. So they got a cobbler to start making and producing the shoes. And Berlut, it also opens this store called The Cocodrillo in 1984 with his partner, Eddie Michaels. And it was the sole intention of showcasing pieces that excited them. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't about business. It was literally about showing pieces that were, like, avant-garde and cool and interesting. Uh-huh. Um, which is what... <laughs> sneezing and yawning. I know. love whatever. yeah. Anyways... And I love that. Bad, bad business I mean, thing, but... it's also
2: like a thing for rich people.
0: Ugh, you're right, you're right, you're right. But yeah. it is fun. It's still fun. I, I Yeah, I, it's like, if you don't have to survive, you don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what everybody should not feel like they have to survive. Anyways, so this attitude seemingly boundless enthusiasm for design and avant-garde that established Brulet and Michaels are two men who really did change the foot put- footprint of fashion. So when Martin Margiela turned up at their first six metro by 6 metro store in Antwerp, they went to his apartment the very same evening and immediately bought stock. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was this, like, they kind of were the first people to start having the boot. Mm-hmm. And the boot reveal happened on the runway in 1988 in his debut show. And the thing about Margiela, Mar- I'm just going to call him Martin, Okay. Everybody, Marty, Marty. Okay, the thing about Martin is he tries to act like he doesn't care about the runway. I
2: don't know if he doesn't act like he doesn't care,
0: but necessarily like he does it in places that aren't runways.
2: Wasn't he the first one to kind of do like behind the scenes stuff? Like he would show you. Probably. I. I Bliss Foster. Foster talks about it. Probably he loves Marcella.
0: I, I I get why he would. I. I, I'm gonna tell you more and I'm gonna tell you my opinion. I don't hate him. I like him very much. I like the tabby boot, obviously I want one. Mm-hmm. But anyways. So the debut show started and a model came out at this Cafe de la Grille in Paris at four forty PM with ribbons on her cuffs, tabby on her feet, and no shirt on. Woo-hoo! He, and the final, the finale accumulated in what, what has since become legend. The models emerged in white lab coats identical to, to those Marjola's team wore with their shoes dripped in red paint leaving strange red markings on the runway. Not quite footprints, not quite hoof prints. So, you know, it was just, it, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. And one of his rare interviews, because he doesn't give a lot of interviews because he's too cool for school, there was an exhibit on At Antwerp's Momu, co-created by the by Brulette, called Footprint, the Tracks of Shoes and Fashion. Um, Marty, Martin, explains this theatrical decision like, so I thought the audience should notice the new footwear and what would be more evident than a footprint?
2: Mm.
0: His second show, I put shoe by accident because, you know, I got confused. His second shoe. <laughs> <laughs> His second show was very, had a very small budget because he still wasn't making a lot of money. Um, and it's about the art man, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so he had to reuse his tabby boots from his first show. Whoa. Yeah, which I like. I like that fact. And he says, because we couldn't afford new shoes, I put wall paint over my first collection to give it the same new feel as we did with everything else in our showroom. Hmm. So he just painted it with wall paint to make it look different a little bit. Wow. And it this, this show is iconic in a lot of ways because people... Still talk about it to this day, and I'll tell you why right now. It was the fall-winter collection of 1989, and it was, like, a scrappy, brazen, and beautiful as the first And all the little details, and it, too, would go down in fashion history. Set in a playground on the outskirts of Paris, people scaled the walls to get in, and neighborhood children wow. lined the front row cheering the models on. And one witness said at a certain point, you couldn't tell who was the neighbor and who was the editor. Everyone was mixed up and excited to bear witness. The children ended up joining the models down the runway and marching in step with step with the models recycled, revisited tabby. Whoa. Well, there's a lot of, like, pros and cons to this. So it was set in, like, the outskirts of Paris, quote-unquote, low-income area that was, like, it was a North African neighborhood. I don't think they really thought about it too much. I think they saw an opportunity to do it at a playground, and they are like, let's just do it. But I do think that's like, I don't know,
2: like the people from the low income neighborhood wouldn't have been able to do that in a wealthy neighborhood. But the wealthy people can just go wherever they want and have a runway show. Yeah. And it's considered fashion. Yeah.
0: So there was this really great article on like, and they interviewed various people at this event and I have loved it. Anyways, so the weather was a concern, but nonetheless, they still decided on the playground. There were other major issues. You know, it was pretty derelict. How do you say that word?
2: Derelict.
0: How am I supposed to remember that Der, Derelict. lick, It
2: was in um, Zoolander. I, oh, there was derelict. like dare I was like, you can dare lick my balls. <laughs> <laughs> is that how you memorize it? I love that. I mean, that's the that's what I think. Dare derelic- yeah, Okay. Think of that word. Dare lick my balls. I love that. <laughs> Thank
0: you. You're welcome. This is sharing information for everybody else. There are rules and regulations that didn't allow them to accept money for use of the area. So Jenny and Martin had the idea that we take the kids on a day trip to so the countryside where various activities would be laid on for them. It was important to Martin and Jenny that we were respectful of the fact that the kids space, and they were lending it just for a few days. I'm like, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, Martin hated pretty printed imitations for, with calligraphy, same. Honestly, since we were staging the show on kids' playground, we thought it would be a great idea to have the imitations drawn by kids. So it was like they were inviting you to their place. Mm. The next thing then was, where, where do we find 500 kids to draw all these imitations? So we cut out rectangular pieces of cardboard, gave them on, uh, gave them to the local schools, and in their art classes, they were given the theme of a fashion show, and they drew their interpretations. Whoa! And of course, these became collectibles eventually. Yeah, you know? sure. Pierre Rogier we finally made, uh, said that we finally made it to the day of the show. It was like, oh, my God, I can't believe we were making it here it happen. But, of course, we didn't have enough power, and we had to go around the neighborhood knocking on doors, asking them to run cables, which I love, mm-hmm. um, and cords from the local houses so that we could plug in the hair dryers and lighting and all that, and it was freaking crazy, and though it didn't seem you so just, at the uh, time.
2: Did you, you just censored yourself. You read "fucking" is freaking crazy. I don't know why. My
0: there was like light in my eye. I
2: literally <laughs> I
0: thought that was funny. You're like they were like fiddlesticks. <laughs> I read it. I saw freaking. I swear to God, <laughs> that's so funny. It's like literally just that word. I suddenly couldn't see anything. Anyways, uh, it was fucking crazy, man. There okay. You know. According to a model, Martin took one look at my wig and said, "It's not wild enough." So he took the hair piece and ran along the dusty ground, which I'm like, what is what is this? What? He, like
2: peeing on it.
0: <laughs> he throws her beer on, like, the yeah. whole outfit. I'm guessing he probably would never dare drink beer, though. We never anticipated that all these people would turn up. I'm like, what do you mean you never anticipated all these people to turn up? You sent out 500
2: invitations. You expect half the people to come. 250 are going to come.
0: Yeah, what do you think I mean- about that?
2: That seems, like, reasonable. I don't know. It's like, I don't know where they're at right now. Like, it seems like it's things are just beginning. So, like, it depends. Like, if you invite 500 friends, sure, a lot of people are going to come. But if you just invite random people? A random
0: fashion people? I don't know. Is there one just...
2: Capricorn in this situation? Oh Anyways. <laughs> I always think Should that way. Can we when... find out what his sign is? Yeah. Please do. April 9. Look at that. I, I think that's Pisces.
0: Or Taurus. I think that's Taurus. Aries. Aries. Oof. No offense. <laughs> um Marvin never let us hector people into coming. The attitude was you can turn up, but if you don't, that's fine too. And we were totally unprepared for the number that did. There was no seating plan. It was first come, first served. This was always the case. There was never a guest list like at, at other shows, but all these people kept showing up and it became very overwhelming. By the time the show started, we didn't know who was an editor or who was the neighbor. We were like, Oh, let all the kids sit down and they did so along the runway. Because it was at a playground. The kids were still there. They didn't actually take them to the countryside. Kids were like, what? What's going on? You know? Uh Yeah. And they were so excited, screeching and laughing, because that would be so exciting, honestly. Oh, my gosh. And then at, at some point, the show just started. There was a lot of black and white around the eyes and these dark lips for the models, you know. The clothes were a continuation of the ideas expressed in the previous two seasons. The elongated sleeves, the narrow rolled peak shoulders, wide tailored trousers, frayed and unfinished seams and mm-hmm. hems. It's literally the apocalyptic fashion that we see now. Mm-hmm. Deconstructed. It, as, you know. It's all kind of from this show.
2: Mm-hmm. A
0: lot of the inspiration that you, it's just like a redoing of this show. Mm-hmm i even put it on our vision board for our 2022 trends so yeah. i think some of those photos are from the show huh and they even reused the exact same tabbies like i said that had been used in the autumn winter 1989 thing but there was this bust of volume from the waist with canvas coats skirts belted around it worn over wide canvas trousers and large canvas bags worn like painting how do you say that
2: i don't know ponniers
0: I, I feel like hope is saving my life right now but this is the one word I don't even know what they are.
2: Yeah, I don't know It had a
0: bit of a Victorian look to it. The dry cleaning bags were transformed into tailored
2: coats, jackets, you tunics. You can't do that. Those dry cleaning bags are made by women. Those are meaningful pieces of history. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, these
0: were worn on top of oversized sheer slips with elegant drapery and pleating that looked quite disordered from a distance, but up close was very sublime and intentional. And, of course, no shocker here, the children couldn't sit still. They were fascinated by what was happening and would smile down at them as we walked by and they'd smile back, we being the models. We were all laughing. And at some point, they joined in and paraded along the models. One of the models' boyfriends began to lift some of the children onto the models' shoulders. All the models and the backstage staff came out for the final wearing the now iconic Blossom Blanche Atler coats. Atelier. Thank you. God. <laughs> the models had confetti in their pockets and threw it into the air. Ralph Simmons, who is now a designer, and he claims from this show, this is where he's started to become a designer, hmm. was struck by everything and was saying that he started crying. And he thought it was really embarrassing. And he was like, Oh my God, look at the ground. Look at the ground. Everyone's going to see you crying. And like, how stupid to be crying at a fashion show. And then he looked up around, and like half the audience was crying. Wow. Because I think it was just like, We're all connected, man. Yeah, it's sweet. It's yeah. Unsweet. Yeah. The press wasn't as positive. I think a lot of people were kind of shocked because it was so impactful to a lot of the audience members um, that the reviews weren't good. And I would say some of the reviews that I read, I agree with. Mm-hmm. In the context, I wasn't there. Of course, I think I would have felt different if I was there. But mm-hmm. a fashion critic, Laurence Benam, wrote in La Mode, and he says that he thought it was a parody of Comdes Garçons in the early 1980s and a little bit too postural. I don't expect fashion designers to give me a lesson about what life is or what it should be. The clothes were perfectly cut, but I didn't like the miserablest scenography. And I still hate drinking bad wine from cheap glasses.
2: Wow. Which, so he's like, honestly relatable. Like, really? I mean, if you had a choice not to drink bad wine. I mean, sure, but he's literally saying that the clothes were cut perfectly, but like, he just didn't like the ambiance. Yeah, because the ambiance is like, oh, it's like, it's supposed, like a part of the show. But, well, the clothes itself are supposed to fill
0: like, into the world or something. So they look like they're thrown together, but they're not. They're, like, perfect. (laughs) That makes sense. Wait, so you're saying that he's saying it's too perfectly cut? I think he's saying they're all very cut, but also it's, like, a juxtaposition to the feel of the clothes themselves. Okay. What is a
2: scenography? Scenography, I think, is, like, I'm guessing it's just, like, cinematography. It's just, like, the scenery. Practice of crafting stage environments and atmospheres.
0: And, yeah, he's right, like fashion designers, and this goes for all designers and individuals alike, it's really hard to capture from such an elitist standpoint, this idea of what life is. I think it's weird to put fashion in marginalized groups of
2: communities. On the other hand, you could say like, it was cool that they did it in a public forum. Yeah. In in like an accessible... That's true, but it's like at the yeah I don't know. There's
0: a lot of ways to look at it. Exactly, Liberation was critical of how inappropriate it was to show designer fashion in a poor part of the city, mm. saying it was exploitation of the neighborhood and its residents. And I read the article and thought, really, is that what you got out of that show? Which is when it's, someone said who that. Is
2: responding, um, yeah,
0: I you can't overlook that part. I yeah. think that's an important part to look at it. Um, Jenny Marins, who was the assistant at, of the show at the time said that wasn't in our minds at all. Honestly, I think that people perceive it differently than we meant it. It's less heavy than people think. I think they saw a playground and they thought, let's just do it here. I don't think they thought about the aspects of race in Paris, especially. I mean, like all of most of France, but like, which I want to be like, it shouldn't matter. But I don't know. It does matter. Yeah, it, it does matter. But it's like, I'm just saying like, everything has context. Like you do it in a public space there is so much history within that space that you have to like note it at some point you know I don't know I don't know how to deal with this because I'm like more fashion shows should be in public spaces but also like at
2: what end right the thing is it's like they did start as we've talked about as just like a way to sell clothes to the middle class and now they're just a way to sell clothes to the rich and it's like is it something that everyone deserves to be a part of or is it like literally just a walking advertisement that like you don't need to parade in front of people who can't buy it? Exactly. But it is like, I don't know, I feel like giving people exposure, especially in a time where they didn't have the internet. Like I find the runway so inspiring even though I can't buy the clothing. And right. And so like you're exposing people to things and they can be inspired by it. It's,
0: it's nuanced. This is some of the pictures I wanted to show you. I have to post some of these. You can see the show, like, a child on the model's shoulders. Really cute. Kids going down. Such romantic theater over a pair of shoes and sheer frayed clothes... Martin took a traditional idea and changed it slightly. Our reactions to processing something so familiar and so strange affected us. People love the oddness of the tabby boot, like a precious open secret, but they're just as likely to be confused by their ugliness and perplexed by other people's devotion to them. You might find them charming or you might find them pretentious. The thing is, you're always in one of those categories. Mm. Tabby don't compel apathy. They force you to feel, and it is rare that a garment can provoke these kinds of emotions. Amen. I know. And that's it. Good stuff. <laughs> I feel like I learned a lot. Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> that was that was taken from an article. I didn't write that, but yeah.
2: Yeah, good stuff. Um, yeah, we'll link it all below. What's let, your opinion on the tabby boot? Yeah, let us know what you think about all of it. The quilt gate or whatever, whatever like sparked something for you. Quilt gate, bimbofication, tabby boots. What do you give a shit about? Let us know.
0: Yeah, we care. We wanna we wanna make friends too. Mm-hmm. We.
2: We're, we don't have that many listeners that we
0: could make friends with every single listener at this point. Yeah, no, it's an attainable goal at this point. <laughs> so that's a positive. Yeah. Anyways, tell your friends. We love you. Love you. I love you. Love you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Sorry, Nara.